politics became a real circus of performance industry. And it has less to do with getting to meaty topics. And it leaves us where the only the loudest people in the room get to be heard. And none of the people, the majority of us who are in the middle get to be listened to or have a voice. And I think that's an important realization to come to. It's something that I felt like I reached after I deconverted and making the decision very intently that I don't want to be a part of any of the groups that are shouting from the mountaintops on either side. I want to think deeply as well as I can about the issues and know where I stand and then function in my space. There are over 4,000 recognized religions in the world. Which one are you leading? Why are you deconverting? Welcome to the Deconversion Podcast, where we explore the experiences and challenges of deconverting from religious faith. We are here to discuss and explore this topic and help you on your journey to living an authentic life. Three, two, one. Welcome to another episode of the Deconversion Podcast. Today's a little bit unique. I'm back up in Montana. So we're doing this via Zoom. I am a, I feel abandoned, everybody. <laughs> he, he left me smoldering down here in Texas. 113 on the heat index the other day. No. See, here's what happened. It was 98, 99 degrees. And the pool at our apartment complex has been down for multiple issues. And so Francie and I said... (laughs) Multiple (laughs) issues. That's a funny way of putting it. (laughs) Francie and I said, if we can't swim, we're not staying here. And we left. (laughs) We went to Montana. So with really short notice, I do apologize for that. I had to schedule another meeting with my therapist after that happened. So yeah, it, it really quite was like a decision that we made. And then two days later, we, we said, hey, we're going to Montana. And we didn't just leave for the weather. There's a lot of reasons we left. But yeah. But again, with modern technology, you and I haven't really missed a beat because we've already been working over online. And now we're doing this. So yeah. pretty easy. So listener, I know you can't see it, but we might be able to put a video on it. So Tim has a T-shirt that I can only presume says good. However, yeah. his microphone is blocking out one of the O's. <laughs> so it looks like it's, it says so God. It looks like it says God. That's the whole thing with this T-shirt that was funny. I thought I would wear it today because the, uh, so I have that notification app on my phone that'll tell me when a UPS package is coming to me. And so I got this notification that a package was coming and I was like, I didn't order anything. So I was like looking at it. Sure enough, this box shows up on my front door and it's an Amazon box that's repackaged. It's not like it's straight from Amazon. And Mm -hmm. I'm like looking at this and I I was just like, what is, who would be sending me this? So I cut it open hesitantly a little bit. And then there were some books in there that one of them I had heard of that was, I was semi-interested in reading and they're all conspiracy books. And at the bottom, I could see this shirt, but it was folded over and it looked like it said God. And I was like, is some did somebody find my address and send me some shit? What the fuck is going on? And then I opened it up and it said good. And then in the leaf of one of the books, it was all for my friend Mike. Gotcha. And and this is a one of Jocko's T-shirts. It's like whenever something bad's going on, say good. We're going to yeah. deal with it. So it's I make my wife angry with the saying all the time. I'm like, oh, it's tough. Good. Yeah, good. <laughs> so so world, anyway, yeah. it was yeah, pretty funny. That's, that is fun. So today's subject is we're going to talk about Christian nationalism. Yeah, it's uh, kind of a buzzword these days. And uh, yeah, we were going to talk, we're going to talk about the lies that are propped up by Christian nationalism, a couple of them specifically. And uh, we just thought this would be a good subject for everybody because it's going around. And if you're, if you've newly left religion, I know when I was deep in religion, I believed certain elements of Christian nationalist belief, stuff revolving around us being a Christian nation and things of that nature. And if you've left and this kind of stuff is just going around all the time, it's worth having a little bit of a objective conversation about it. And I got to see your notes before the show. I think this is going to be a great episode. Yeah. So something that's interesting in collecting the notes and getting it ready, and we've, this has been a common issue that you and I have run into, is we have used two words in our vernacular and communicating, and that's been spectrum and definition. 
Mm-hmm. One of the things that's hard is defining what is Christian nationalism. What does that entail? And what does that mean? Because there's so many different opinions about what that is and what it means. And so I was curious before we jumped into this and just a brainstorm session is that we can look at these topics and we are talking in generalizations. We are talking about the majority, right? The norm of groups mm-hmm. of people. There's always going to be outliers. But what's hard is as I was doing my research, there's a very scholarly debate, but mm-hmm. those talking points have nothing to do with what you hear by politicians, what you hear on the news, what you see on social media. And so I just yeah. I just find it really interesting. It is difficult, but I think in this episode, we want to talk about the buzz. What are what's yeah. being heard on the news? What's being said by politicians? What are you seeing on social media? And that is going to conflict with some beliefs on a very academic level. I, I don't know. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I, I, I pretty much do. It's it, like with anything, things are believed in degrees in some instances. And I, like, I know that my parents believe that we're founded on Christian values and Judeo-Christian principles is a buzzword that gets thrown around a lot. And I no longer believe that of my after my own study and reading of documents and the founding fathers and things like that. Founding fathers is another buzz term. Who are we talking about? Are we just talking about the signers of the Declaration of Independence or stuff around the Constitution? So there's a lot of things to debate and there's a spectrum of debate. But there are people now that are on the spectrum that just believe, oh, we were founded as a Christian nation, but they still embrace a lot of American values. And now there's a whole nother demographic that are leaning into theocracy. They think that to be American means to be Christian and to be a Christian, you have to be American. There is the erosion of the separation of church and state, which if you read what Thomas Jefferson, what Thomas Paine, what a lot of the founders had to say in their own documentation from the time. The separation of church and state was built to protect their ability to be Christians, just like it was built to protect my right to not believe that, or for a Buddhist to practice what he wants to preach. It's there to protect all of us. And there seems to be a very prevalent loss of respect for what that really entails, especially among Christian nationalists and among politicians that use these buzzwords to get their base jazzed to vote for them. And it's just going back to the point is let's do our best to define terms and let's do our best by being as accurate as possible. But I think Mm -hmm. there just needs to be that known fact that Hey, but there's a little bit of like street smarts in this. There's a little yeah, bit of, of what's being said. There's, yeah, in the dictionary, this might be what this word means, but amongst the collective group of people, that's mm, not. No. And the English language is full of those. It's just interesting because there's so well, much controversy around this topic. Th- there is one thing that's on that subject of street smarts is just that you notice it's very apparent when it comes to biblical things. People will spout little things from the Bible, and yet if I talk to them for 10 minutes, it becomes apparent that they've not read the Bible. They don't know anything beyond tidbits. And this is very true with Christian nationalism and the assertion that the Founding Fathers formulated our Declaration of Independence and our Constitution on biblical values. Most people, when I dig into that and I talk to them about it, they've not read a lot of what our founding fathers actually said or thought about what they were trying to accomplish, what they were, they were combating theocracy back in the day and divine right, because King George was a monarch that was functioning along the principles of divine right and hereditary titles. And our founding fathers did not like that. And they wanted to refine it in a way to preserve future generations. Yeah. And and yeah, so street smarts comes into play. Yeah. Let's get into it. All right. So the first thing before we get into the lies of Christian nationalism is let's define it. Okay. Christian nationalism is the belief that the American nation is defined by Christianity 
and that the government should take active steps to keep it that way. Okay. That's just mm-hmm. one of the definitions. And then, and then going to that street smarts type of idea, Christian nationalists insist that the United States was established as a Christian nation. And they believe that it's this closed relationship between Christianity and the state needs to be respected and that the U.S. is here to fulfill a God-given destiny. And so we get into that and we see that with different subject matters. But yeah, knowing that, knowing, okay, that's Christian nationalism, let's jump into the first one, which I thought the book, The Founding Myth, did a really nice job articulating this. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the very first one is we are founded on Judeo-Christian principles. And I love in the book Founding Myth, he references so many politicians using this term. Oh, uh, yeah. The, and when it, so, it started, too. Yeah, exactly. Cause, so let's, it, let's talk yeah. about it. Let's it, talk about Judeo-Christian principles. So I'm, I am probably about three quarters of the way through the Founding Myth book right here at this very moment. I'm a little late to read it. I had already done some of my own reading on the Founding Fathers, and I already agree with the presumption of the book, but it is really great. He, was a lot of the things that are pointed out, this whole term, Judeo-Christian, is an oxymoron because Judaism and the tenets of Judaism are different from Christianity. And those are not mutually exclusive ideas. They can, in fact, stand in opposition to each other. But that term and phrasing it that way makes it sound more inclusive than it is. But what they're really referencing is Christian superiority, which is exclusive. And so the whole term, it just became, again, you and I talk about catchphrases all the time and how powerful it is to get people with catchphrases and stick it into them and get them to do it. Judeo-Christian is something that's been in my linguistics for a long time. Since I was a little kid, we talked about Judeo-Christian values and how we were founded on Judeo-Christian principles. And as you get into what were the principles of the Declaration of Independence, what were the principles that were in the Constitution? And do those fall in line with Judeo-Christian principles or not? And I think he does a great job in that book of breaking down how they just don't. The Declaration of Independence is like an all-out rebellion and declaring why we are rebelling against an authoritarian government. And the Bible is all about supplanting yourself to an authority and submitting to an authority. There's nothing anywhere close to what we did with the Declaration of Independence in the Bible. Yeah. And I liked one of the points that he made was if from a Christian's perspective, the term Judeo-Christian means, hey, we have the Old Testament in Christianity and we're in cahoots with the Jewish religion, with Judaism. And then we just believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And so there's this idea that Christianity's foundation and Judaism it's the same, and then they just go a little bit farther. But I really mm-hmm. liked how in the book they he said, if you're a Christian, it's because you don't believe Judaism. And if you're yeah. if you're a Jew and you're a practicing Jew, it's because you don't believe in Christianity. Yeah. And I thought that was just a really nice way of drawing the line in the sand. And then what I really enjoyed reading about and it's fascinating to see how policy can change via fear. And we've talked about it. I know we'll jump into it. But this term really became a buzzword during the Cold War in an attempt to suggest that the United States has this identity that opposed communism. Yes. Yeah. The Cold War had a lot to do with the terminology of the time and things that we're living with today because it became, again, We deal with social media and campaign rhetoric and information going around really fast with the internet, and we can tend to forget that they did the same thing back then, too. It just would move a little bit slower. It's also referred to as the Red Scare Yeah, during the rise of communism. We were basically – there was an ideological war between the ideas of a communist government and a capitalist government, and I think it all just failed. <laughs> but part of that was us identifying as 
we're God's chosen. We are the emissaries of the holiness and freedom and these things. And we tied freedom and holiness with God and specifically Christianity and politicians did. This is also during where all of these huge movements of a lot of Bill Gothard and all of the guys we talked about in Shiny Happy People, the Christian evangelical movement got behind this in opposition to the godless communists, to the atheists and the godless communists is the way they put it. And so that was the rhetoric of the day. And we live with the leftovers of that now. Yeah. And I think it's a, I think that's a good transition into our second lie is that we are a Christian nation. And what I find fascinating talking about the cold war is how there was this idea that we were America was against the godless communists and that that we had these righteous values of mm-hmm. the West that were based in Christianity. And yeah. if I'm not mistaken, one of the big arguments for we are a Christian nation is why does it say in God we trust on our currency is, oh, is a yeah. real buzzword. And that came out, if I remember correctly, that came out of the Cold War as well. That is correct. So one, we'll tackle right where you're at on the money, and then I'd like to jump back to some of our founding fathers on this specific issue. But when it comes to the money, and this is so, this is interesting to me. It feels redundant because I've known this for a long time. But for our audience, and if you're new and you've newly deconverted and you grew up submerged in this stuff, some of this data can be like surprising because you've grown up just assuming this is all true because it's given to you. I did. I thought our national motto was, in God we trust, and it always has been, in God we trust. That's not accurate. I always thought, in God we trust, was on the money. It wasn't always on the money. Yeah. And so the truth is that, one, our first national motto was e pluribus unum, which you can still see on occasion in certain places. And what that means is, out of the many, one. Yeah. So it's a very inclusive kind of statement. And and us as a melting pot, you can see that. In God We Trust came up during the Red Scare. I believe In God We Trust went on coins earlier than it went on our bills, but it went on our bills in, I believe, you can look up the exact yeah. year, but I think it was like in the 1950s. Yeah, so in 1864, the term In God We Trust made its first appearance on the two-cent piece. And that was in response to the Civil War and, okay, gotcha. and the war efforts. And, and then, yes, on July 11th, 1955, Congress passed H.R. 619, which, man, which made it mandated, in God we trust, be included on all U.S. currency. Mm-hmm. And then the it was printed in 57. Okay, so th- so fairly recently this is when it switched and it was in a response to the red scare and that kind of thing so there's a couple of things to that are worth noting about that kind of stuff is that that is the slow erosion of the separation of church and state and that's one of those stepping stones one of the most profound things about the in god we trust is also the when you do the pledge of allegiance yeah one one nation under god okay yep. that was also changed it was originally one nation indivisible. And again, exclusive, inclusive. And one of the things I remember seeing that really drove that home for me, if you think that's a joke, go YouTube Porky Pig from Looney Tunes. There's an old version of a cartoon skit with Porky the Pig, and he's pledging allegiance to the flag. And there's no under God. And it's from like the, I think it's from the 1930s or the 1940s, because it wasn't even in the Pledge of Allegiance until further on it got added in. So that's tackling the under God and in God we trust on the money. And again, the Pledge of Allegiance, I just looked it up. That was Uh added in 1954. Okay, so right around the same time. Yeah, Yeah, Cold War, Red Scare. So then this makes us loop back to think about what, were our founding fathers' intentions. And this is where, as you put it earlier in the podcast, we get into some good spirited debate. It's not unfair to say that there were religious people in the founding of our government, okay? There were believers in that kind of thing. When you get into some of their correspondence and then the principles enshrined in our founding documents, though, 
that's where it gets really shaky when you start comparing it to biblical values because they're very different. Things like the presumption of innocence when it comes to you have a right to a speedy trial and everyone's presumed innocent until proven guilty. That is not biblical at all. It's very different. And then then we have so much correspondence from all of them. And the famous one that gets mentioned a lot is the Treaty of Tripoli, where John Adams straight up says, we are in no way founded on Christian values. Right. Uh, or and we are in no way a Christian nation. There's a lot of argument from the Christian side, because I was reading about it. Uh-huh, and the statement yeah. was that there just wasn't one recognized church. We were still a religious nation, just we weren't going to have a central government church. And yeah, but if that's what they're advocating for, that's not what Christian nationalists are after right now. That's exactly what they want. If they're thinking we were that's like trying to have your cake and eat it too. If you can say and believe that all day, if that's your argument, you're getting to the same conclusion from a different route. I, in some ways, could agree. But that's not what Christian nationalists are advocating for. They're advocating for a government that is run and controlled by Christians. And that is antithetical to what we were based upon. And and for a lot of the, those arguments can go round and round. That's why it's been so interesting to read the founding myth. It's just like he gets into a lot of that kind of stuff. A lot of Christians at the time were not happy with the founding fathers and how they were going about putting down those documents. There was no, there was only a handful of prayers said before sessions of Congress, like enough to be counted on one hand it was it's just ridiculous as opposed to nowadays where every session is presided over by a minister again something that was added later in time another statement that's made is we are a christian nation because the president swears in on the bible that's just i did look it up legally they don't have to they don't have to. Yeah. It's just like when I go, if I were to go into court and I get sworn into court, I can request to not do it on a Bible. Or if they make me do it on a Bible, I don't say, so help me God. I'll say, so I so swear. I don't have to swear on any of that stuff. These right. are all, but again, this is one of the things where I think it's interesting in that book. It, we talk about how there is the extremely famous line from Benjamin Franklin when they walked out and they had finished and the public asked, what do we have? Do we have a king, a monarchy, or a republic? He goes, you have a republic if you can keep it. And so a lot of the stuff implied that is not present in regards to religion and that formulates this wall of church and state, which we know that they thought about, the language is not there specifically in the Constitution because they didn't want to reference religion stuff. It's not. It's just not there. Yeah. But that separation is eroding over time. And that's where the whole if you can keep it comes up. Because the more you lose and the more it erodes, which it already has to a certain extent, the worse it will get. Yeah. And there is a lot of biblical websites that are pushing back about the founding fathers. And here's the real big the big discussion is that the founding fathers were at most deists. They believe God created the world, then left it alone to be ran. And so there's a lot of conversation about the founding fathers being deists in their orientation and their sympathies. There's a lot to be said about, there's a lot of literature out there about the founding fathers were skeptical men of enlightenment who questioned each other. They were philosophers, yes. you know, radical. They were scientists. Yeah. And so what's interesting is you hear a lot of these things, and then there's this mm-hmm. pushback that from Christians, that statement's absolutely not true. But I think for some people, and I didn't know this six months ago, so I think it would be worth mentioning, it's just understanding the definition of deist. We did do a podcast on deism versus theism, but mm-hmm. I think, would you just take a second to articulate? Elaborate. Yeah, what what does it mean that the founding fathers were at most deists. Okay. So again, deism versus theism real quick. Theism's belief in a very specific God that can intervene, communicate, suspend the laws of nature's and involves itself in the world around us. That's a theistic God. Deistic God is a God of first cause, set something in motion. It's non-specific. It wouldn't have a name. It wouldn't have any definition or religion around it. It just set everything in motion, and now it's no longer involved. 
It doesn't do miracles. It doesn't speak to you. It's not involved. It's gone. And so deistic forms of God are, there are some very good indications in the writings of founding members of our country, Thomas Paine, Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, that are George Washington, all of them have deistic sentimentality. And beyond that, one thing I love that was pointed out by by Seidel in his book, The Founding Myth, is that they actually have some other good indicators from correspondence from them that they just believe that because they were the upper echelons of our society. When you think about the haves, the have-nots, and those kinds of terms, these guys were the haves. These were the rich people that were controlling our country at the time. They had the privilege of education and access and resources to all these other things. To them, the ability to reason and be rational and think through and do some of the things that they were doing was a privilege of their state of office. And so being that what it was, they didn't think religion was bad for the rest of the country. In fact, they thought it was necessary to help guide and control the populace, which is a very famous people in power see religion as being a useful tool. And I believe the founding fathers, they had to use it in some way not to guide the public or whatever. They just, they thought they were in a privileged position to shift and move that around. They didn't think everyone could be like them and be rational and thoughtful and go through all of this kind of stuff. They thought it was limited because of the state of society at the time. And nowadays, any of us can reach that level of rationality. The whole dynamic has changed, especially with the internet and education and all these different times. The times change. Right. And now we have the ability to do that stuff. And they couldn't really foresee that at the time. But that's also why the Constitution is flexible. It's a document that they purposefully made it so that it could change over time, which is also a distinctly different thing from religion. Religion doesn't change over time. I don't see revisions of the Bible happening on a regular basis or being voted upon. Constitution, on the other hand, does change. Yeah, exactly. So let's jump into another lie. That, okay. that we hear quite a bit, that you must be a Christian to be American and patriotic. Yeah. yeah. This is also feeding into the us versus them mentality stuff that's going around right now, which is you can't be American if you're liberal. You can't mm-hmm. be American if you if you criticize America. Yeah, And I don't think that maybe they're going so far. This is the sinister thing about it. They're not going so far as to say that you can't not be American and not be Christian, but Christian Americans are better. And they're they're more patriotic. They're more patriotic. They're the upper echelon of American. And that to me is un-American. And I think being critical of our country and wanting change, undoing wrongs, rethinking things, being more pragmatic, I think that's the most patriotic thing you can be as American is critical. Yeah, I find it as an insult for someone to say you're not very patriotic because you're not a Christian. That's complete horseshit. We're yeah. I'm very patriotic. And in that identity as an American, we want to make the country we live in <laughs> as good of a country as we the, can. There, you know me, I'm gonna do a pop culture reference, but one of my favorite lines from is a movie called The Rock. And it's got Sean Connery, who's a former prisoner at Alcatraz. And there and there's a terrorist attack on Alcatraz, and they're trying to find a way back in. Sean Connery's the guy that's capable of doing it, and then the bad guys played by Ed Harris, who's an, a a grudging old American soldier that's wanting to get vengeance for mistreatment of his soldiers. And there's this great exchange between them about patriotism. And Ed Harris says something to the atone of he quotes Thomas Jefferson. He goes from time to time, the tree of liberty must be watered with the blood of tyrants and patriots. And then Sean Connery comes back to him and says, patriotism is a virtue of the vicious, according to Oscar Wilde. And then Ed Harris just smacks him across the face. And it's a great scene because there's some truth in both of those statements, but people get so hung up on patriotism that they can undermine the values for which patriotism is worthy. Yeah. And I always so. love that sequence. That that when Sean Connery delivers a line like that, it's just yeah, home run, city. home run. <laughs> All right, so here's another one, and this is uh, there is an interesting dichotomy to this one, but 
Here's some here's something that is said often by Christian nationalist groups, or you can even say extreme groups, and that is religion is under attack from the government. In mm-hmm. one of Trump's campaign speeches, he says Trump recalls defending Judeo-Christian values and says that religion is under attack. He said what they're doing to religion, what they're doing to Christianity, it's a very sad thing for our country. They want to take your religious freedoms away. In terms of a threat, they want to take them away. Yeah. Uh, and then Trump said that his White House doors were open to all, especially those in the faith community. And and so it's just really funny because, and then here's a, here's a home run Trump quote. You ready? You know, go for it. One of my greatest honors was fighting for religious liberty and for defending Judeo-Christian values and principles of our nation's founding. I think anything that comes out of Trump's mouth regarding Judeo-Christian values or Christianity in the first place is, I don't know, (laughs) an oxymoron considering the character of the individual. Yeah, it's an oxymoron Uh, to an oxymoron. Yeah, exactly. It's just ridiculous. But to the whole, is religion under attack? I think that's a great talking point for politicians because it riles up their base because Christians are primed from their pastors and social media and the news and everything. One, they get primed at church to think as Christians, they're going to be victimized. Yeah, And that was something I always struggled with because it creates this mentality of being victimized. And in all of world history, Never has there been such a time as Christians in the United States of not being persecuted. The truth is they have the majority of the power, the money, everything. But in order for them to keep it, they need to keep the threat of them losing that very real. So there is this aggrandizing and propping up of this victimization mentality. And then politicians capitalize it by trying to make big deals out of nothing. Yeah. I love how many politicians in Seidel's book, he lists how many politicians saying Judeo-Christian principles. Oh, yeah, it, it was ridiculous. It's, it's a buzzword. It's a, you know, it's it's a catchphrase. And catchphrases are obviously, they're effective. And but, the, what was the one that he said that was something to the atone of like, when when you're the ones oh, predominantly in power, or you got the line? Yeah, so it, it's actually something Seth Andrews said. And I just love this quote, to the privilege equality feels like suppression. That's the one. That's the one. And I love that. That's really accurate. And I think there's a lot of that going on right now. I've been saying that to everybody lately. Yeah. I'm like a parrot that's just been saying that over and over again. Again, good catchphrases need to get out there where people can hear them. This is something that gets argued all the time is, are Christians getting persecuted? From my perspective, no. Does that mean that they're not completely, that there aren't instances of people being persecuted? No, I wouldn't say that. Certainly, there are isolated events. But making big deals about Starbucks cups and fucking the war on Christmas and all of this other stuff, this is – it's also distracting from the main issues. It's one of the reasons that I think that right-wing Christianity and right-wing conservatives – are bankrupt on ideas to help us solve any problems because all they spend their time on is a handful of hot button issues with their base. Gender equality, are the homosexuals brainwashing your children, abortion issues. They stay on these couple of hot button issues. Those are not the only issues in our country, especially with everything else going on. We've got tech we've got economics we've got we've got financial issues we've got environmental environmental change we've got all of this other stuff they've got no answers no plans no nothing all they do is sit around and rile people up about drag shows and in the meantime we're sitting around with school shootings happening literally on a weekly basis that they won't take any action on so there's some real dissonance with all of this stuff. And we've talked about it before. It's look at this hand and don't pay attention to what the other hand is doing. Yeah. And yeah. And I think the key word is that there's religion is under attack from the government. You can say that religion is under attack from 
Maybe people, for example, I read an article about people going and taking decapitating statues of Jesus and doing things of that nature. And so there's this feeling of suppression, but it's not coming from the government. The government is giving them the same freedom oh, yeah. uh, that all other religions should have to worship. And here's the thing. Yeah, I think that's vandalism. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I don't think that should be happening. I think that a very neutral government should be there to protect people from vandalizing property. I also think that people have a right to say Merry Christmas if they choose to say Merry Christmas, as well as they have a right to say Happy Holidays. That's one of the things that we had talked about a little bit as far as the far left side was this desire from some far left groups of people wanting to monitor language and say and have that censorship you shouldn't be able to say merry christmas in a public place i disagree with that i think the government's mm-hmm. role is for us to have this freedom of speech so if someone wants to say merry christmas to me i don't want to take that right away from them and- here's the thing you go back in time to like news in like the 1930s the 1940s even if you just go back to the 1980s or the early 90s news was boring yeah. Boring AF. It was C-SPAN and this and that. And I think that's really what politics is supposed to be. It's supposed to be the minutia of all of this little bullshit going around. And then somewhere here as social media fired up, politics became a real circus of performance industry. Yeah. And it has less to do with getting to meaty topics. And it leaves us where the only the loudest people in the room get to be heard and none of the people, the majority of us who are in the middle get to be listened to or have a voice. And I think that's an important realization to come to. It's something that I felt like I reached after I deconverted and making the decision very intently that I don't want to be a part of any of the groups that are shouting from the mountaintops on either side. I want to think deeply as well as I can about the issues and know where I stand and then function in my space yeah, and not be a part of either of the major crowds. But that being said, you also have to step up when things are getting out of control. And what's getting out of control right now is that the separation of church and state is eroding. Yeah, It's eroding and something does need to be done mm-hmm. about it. I think the best we can do is show up and vote. And say no to the loudest voices on either side. Hold our sides accountable. If you lean liberal or you lean conservative, you have a responsibility to reel in the loud mouths of your crowd yeah. and keep it in check with the values. But I think when we go to the lies of Christian nationalism and what's being propped up and when you talk about whether or not we are a Christian nation or we're a secular na- nation, which I think we're more inclined to be secular – You mentioned earlier that we have a lot of good-spirited debate and talk about what was the intentions of our founding fathers, were they deists, were they not, whatever. And what I would encourage our our listeners and people who have deconverted that may be functioning with this default of we're a Christian nation, and that's what I was raised and I was taught, there's nothing wrong. Go look at the debate. When we were going through the guide and we did the video on like my eight-point process of like how I filter information through my personal filter. I stand by that. When you feel like you've established that kind of stuff, go look at what's being said. Go read some of the founding father stuff. Read the founding myth. Read someone else's opinion on it. If you want to read some of the Christian assertions that were a Christian nation, go read that too. I'm not a limiter on information, but yeah. I've done that research. I've listened and I am convinced one way. Sure. Until I could see something better evidence-wise. And it's not only that I'm convinced that our founding fathers did not intend us to be a Christian nation. I think that what they did was to try and preserve everybody's ability to believe whatever they want. But I also believe that we have a responsibility to try and preserve that and that we can't sit by and let loudmouths come in and try and rewrite history on us. Yeah. So something that I found to be really interesting is that there's this statement that the United States is God's chosen nation, right? And in that belief system, there's a lot of political voting around our 
alliance with Israel and mm-hmm. our relationship with Israel. And when reading these arguments about are we God's chosen nation, which there's nothing biblical about the United States of America formed in 1776 as God's chosen nation. He talks about Israel, mm-hmm. but it's this really odd form of circular reasoning that's mm-hmm. starting to happen. And when I was reading like pro Christian articles and pro Christian websites, like their take on separation of church and state, things of that nature, there's this, how do you know we're a Christian nation? And the statements are, well, in God, we trust is on our money. The Ten Commandments are on the top of courthouses. Under God is in the Pledge of Allegiance, right? So it, it's funny because so these cultural things sneak in. A lot of this came into our government during the Red Scare. And then it's becoming this self-fulfilling thing. How do you know the Founding Fathers were Christian? Because we're one nation under God because mm-hmm. in God we trust is on the Bible. How do you know that's legitimate because the founding fathers? So it's really circular fast- reasoning. Yeah. And it's just fascinating. It's like, hey, let me insert some cultural talking points that are going to serve as the bullet points for me to fulfill the circular reasoning circle. And I know it's a little abstract and I don't think there was any real intention to it, but I just found a lot of irony in reading some of these articles yep. that that's going on. And, See, and that that's part of the problem. If you go and analyze it, you start running into that's a big problem for me. It's like the argument's not good. Like the 10 commandments, our constitution and our laws almost stand in dr- They not almost, they do stand in direct contradiction to the Ten Commandments. To and then which Ten Commandments are you talking about? Because the Ten Commandments that was a great point in the founding myth. Which ones are you talking about? There are different iterations and different meanings depending on the translations, depending on which books of the Bible you're getting it from. It's not like it's in one specific place. So you end up with a lot of these things that cause my brain to throw up all the red flags and be like, no, it's just not going to work for me. And what's funny is there was definitely a huge chapter of my life where I just felt like it was innocuous, whatever the 10 commandments are listed. Okay. Whatever it says in God, we trust. Oh Hmm. my gosh. Okay. Everyone calm down. You can say happy holidays or Merry Christmas. I'm not going to, this isn't the sword I'm going to fall on. And then reading that these are common arguments, now I changed my opinion. We should make a really big deal about in God we trust being put on our currency. And that was probably not a great decision in 1957. I think we should really hammer home the fact that our Pledge of Allegiance changed in 1954. Mm-hmm. I think we I think the us not having the Ten Commandments posted in public schools is important private schools again they go for it i think you have to protect yeah you have to protect those rights but those things that seem innocuous that kind of make you want to roll your eyes and say oh it's not that big of a deal they actually become the talking points to justify voting to justify things such as the overturning of rover you know v wade Uh, that was that was the point i was just going to link into exactly what you're saying it's interesting to me And I think it's worth noting and putting out to our audience that my entire life and all through, frankly, the Obama presidency, I would hear things out of people, including my parents, that would be like, they're going to take your guns away. They're going to take your rights away. They're going to, there's all of those terms. There's only one party that has actually started taking people's rights away. And it hasn't been the Democrats. Yeah. The Republicans and the Christians and the Christian nationalists, those are the ones who are going to show up and you'll wake up one day, and I hate to break it to you if you're still a Christian and you're listening to this, you'll wake up one day and you're going to have another Christian knocking at your door telling you you're not doing it right Yeah, because the government will legislate how and where and what that's supposed to be. That was what the founding fathers were trying to save you from with separation of church and state. And right now, there's one party that seems to still respect that with its flaws, and there's a party that does not respect that anymore. Yeah, And that is a huge effing problem, and we all should do some real soul-searching on what are our real problems versus what our 
being propped up and who's coming for your rights and who's not. Yeah. There was one of my kind of conclusion notes is that there are quite a few sites that are created from Christian believers who are against Christian nationalism yes, and yeah. who are really articulating that the actions that Christian nationalists are taking are actually dangerous to yes. their beliefs and them being able to practice their religions. And it was really fascinating when looking at Q&As of different people that have spoken on the topic. And one of the things was, can Christians be politically engaged without being a Christian nationalist? And the answer is yes. You can yeah, have, absolutely. You can have belief systems, and you don't have to apply those belief systems to policy. Mm. My my big thing is I can have my independent beliefs, but I feel like there's a role that the government needs to play. And yeah. so the government doesn't need to doesn't need to enforce or back up my personal beliefs. It just needs to create an environment where I can have my beliefs and you can have your beliefs and yeah. I can reach my basic human needs and you can reach your basic human needs. Yeah. And that's all that the government really should be doing. But unfortunately, that's just not what we're dealing with these days. It's dangerous what we're dealing with and people need to go back and think about it. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's definitely something that's prevalent in our world right now. I'm, I have literally become absolutely exhausted with the whole Trump era of politics and the fact that Christians were so quick to jump into bed with someone like that. Yeah. And it really eroded a lot of how I think about right-wing politics, because I used to feel like there were certain conservatives that I could really meet in the middle with. But after you watch them pinching hairs and trying to survive in an era where for me, it was as simple as like just stepping up and saying, no, this is wrong. Yeah. And no one would do it. And then it becomes the slippery slope. And now we're in a world where Roe v. Wade got overturned and people are having to fight about that all the time. Yeah. And it's just, it's ridiculous. And then the fact that they just continue to capitalize on outrage culture. Christian yeah. nationalism feeds off of outrage culture. They stir up their base in a lot of instances, fabricate a non-issue. And yeah. the most recent ones is the fear around transsexuals, drag shows, all of that stuff. And you and I have harped on that on here before, sure. but that's just one of the most prevalent ones because it's like, God, dude, there's all these other things to be worried about. And I said to someone the other day, I was like, show me the instance where a drag queen was grooming tons of kids. Yeah. Show me an instance where they got caught with child porn. Show me an instance where they got arrested for molesting a child. And I get, uh, I'm like, I'm not saying that there's not maybe an instance out there, but what's in the news all the time? Yeah, It's well, pastors and youth group leaders getting pegged for that all the time. It's the other side that's as guilty as sin of doing that stuff. Show me a government organization that came into your house and raided your weapons. Yeah. You're going to take your guns. I have a lot of guns. No one's yeah. knocked and yeah. collect my weapons. Isaac and I are both Texas boys. We both have, since we were kids, enjoyed, were taught proper firearm safety and enjoyed firearms. We're not gun enthusiasts, I think, by any means, but we've no. owned firearms our whole lives. And I've been told since I was a, like 10 years old, they're going to come and take your guns. They're going to come and take your guns. No one's ever come and took my guns. Yeah. No one's ever done it. In fact, they've done nothing but make it easier for me to get them, which makes me suspicious because yeah. I think I should have to do more to own the guns I possess. Yeah, I agree. And I would, I would have no problem doing more, passing a background check, maybe a yearly psychological check-in. Yeah. If I get a felony, you take them away. You know what? If I committed a felony and it meant my firearms got taken away, I would abide by that law. I sure. would have no problem with that being a law. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and it's, yeah. And then you just make sure the felonies are put in check. Oh, great, sorry, point. Gr great point though. Just about, we've been told that our whole lives, just on that yeah. gun point. It's an illustration of the fear mongering. They've harped on that issue forever. And it's never happened. It's not going to happen. It's just I saw it's a, smoke and mirrors. 
I saw a video clip and this is wrapping this part up, but I just wanted to share this. It was really fun. I saw a video clip of John McCain while he was campaigning. If anyone said something about Obama that wasn't true, he corrected them. I have and seen so, that as well. It's yeah. fan, it's fantastic. It's like one of the last, and again, I disagree with the guy's politics, but I can respect someone's level of integrity. Someone else don't agree with their politics, don't agree with their religion, and probably a lot of other things, Mitt Romney. But Mitt Romney has always stepped up and been like, Trump's a problem. Sure. Never minced words about it. Yeah. And not up there flip flopping like all of the other sycophants like Lindsey well, Graham and all those guys. Oh, yeah. It was just fascinating with the McCain situation because they also showed his I watched his speech after he had lost to Obama. And I just it was extremely refreshing because when people will say Obama's Middle Eastern, he's Muslim. John McCain would go, no, he's not. That is not uh -huh. true. And it's just funny to watch those clips and ask myself. Would any Republican candidate behave the way that John McCain behaved? And if they did, would they win election? Yeah. And that's, and I think, and the reason why I'm bringing this up is I think that Christian nationalism is the reason I'm asking that question. Yeah. Could someone like John McCain be a Republican right now? Could be the Republican candidate to run for president. Yeah. Man, I don't know. It's a strange territory because that base on the right is so fired up and it requires so much energy to get it to move. It's I think the politicians are enslaved to certain ways of thinking and certain rhetoric now. And it's no thanks to Trump, Trumpism and all that stuff that went down as well. What if you, you know, are a politician running, let's say you're running mm -hmm. for Texas Senate. Can you get away with not saying our nation is based on Judeo-Christian values? And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because when there is the Christian vote and there is so much propaganda at churches and mega churches, what happens is exactly what you said earlier, is we get distracted from the real issues. We can't yes. have the hard conversations. We can't really analyze things in regards to our finances. We're... There's just too much time having to be spent on getting the Christian vote. And it's just, it's crazy to watch sermons. I don't know if this was true for you when you were growing up in the church, but very, I would say close to 40 to 50% of my sermon experience was political. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And if it wasn't in the actual, I think pastors can be a little bit cautious of jumping directly into politics. It's not that they won't. I think they're probably way more permissive with it now. But it's if the politics weren't dis discussed during the two-hour sermon that I was subjected to once a week, it was discussed all the rest of the time. Yeah. And this from organizations that are supposed to not be involved in politics. That's why you have a tax-exempt status. Exactly. Yeah. It's crazy, man. There's a lot of irony. I I asked Doug this question, and I didn't really know, and I couldn't really quite find a direct answer, but have you heard anything about the religious response to separation of church and state? Like Christian nationalists respond to, to they deride it. They think there's stuff that's been said, like Margie Taylor Green has said that she's a that she embraces Christian nationalism. And then I'm fairly certain I don't want to misquote anybody, but I'm fairly certain that the exact things have been said that we should be a Christian nation. We not just that we are, that we should be, and that Christianity should be like our state religion. I'm sure that there are quotes out there from them saying very close to those things. Yeah. So the, the one thing that I've seen in regards to that is that Bill of Right is not constitutional, that it's not lawful for that to be a thing. Let me ask you this question. The sure. first clause in the Bill of Rights is Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. Mm -hmm. Do you think that statement's true? Do you think that our government has not made any laws respecting an establishment of a religion? I think in regards to national, uh, I think what they're specifically referencing there is like endorsing a national religion. And I don't believe that they have done that. 
not right. yet because we don't have a national re- church yeah. we don't mm-hmm. have a national church national religion. There, there's no established religion and they put that in there because what they were contending with king george in england it, when we mm. were dissolving our bonds with them is that was a monarchy the king of england was also the head of the church of england so yep. he was the head of a political organization and the head of a church they were bound together and then his rule was considered to be a divine right and hereditarily passed down. And that was one of the top things our founding fathers were like, nope, we're not doing that shit. Yeah, exactly. And that's, and I've read that's a common argument from a lot of Christians that separation of church and state means that there's not a national church, but it doesn't mean that we're not built on Christian values then that that's where you get into the arguments yeah. and that's where there's minutia and stuff. And what I would encourage people to do is go look at what the Bible says about right, wrong, and what you should do. It's a mixed bag. Yeah. And then go look at what our constitution enshrines and because that's, it's and that's different. Really, let's really focus on women's rights and slavery, address those things. So moving from academia uh-huh. and technicalities and the Bill of Rights being written in regards to not having a national church. Let's mm-hmm. move from there to the street. The right? street. The street. Just okay. a little outlaw logic. Has Congress made laws or taken away laws res- respecting the establishment of a religion? I think, I think it's less about specific religious stuff. And it's more that they are now legislating laws based upon people's religious preferences. And Roe v. Wade is the absolute pinnacle of that. Roe v. Wade is a, is an issue that I think has, as we've talked before, it's a complex problem. It has messy solutions. It's it's complicated. And what we have is a government that's legislating based upon r- the religious principles that they personally hold. And that's not how our laws should be getting passed down. I may feel like i i enjoy eating bacon but that doesn't mean i should force muslims to eat bacon sure or that muslims should be able to tell me i can't eat bacon okay when we start getting into laws that are revolving around things like this getting into very slippery territory and that's where we don't want to lose our republic i don't want to turn into gilead people (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But and it and it is and it is funny having these types of conversations because it does get into the nuance of laws and statements and what does this mean and we need to define terms. And I think sometimes it's hard to take the time to really flush those things out, mm-hmm. really have a, an articulate conversation. And that can get people caught in a situation where in the reference of this, this was the conversation. Yeah, and, and then someone presents it differently. And we know these things from all yeah. areas of life, but I don't know. Just I think it's important for the general conversation to to be had. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of that, yeah. speaking of that, so I I started listening to some Christian podcast. Uh huh. It's pretty. Uh, it's pretty it's hard. Pretty rough. <laughs> so that, well, awesome. this, this last one that I listened to said that uh, you ready. Yeah. Without a doubt, without question, we absolutely won that debate. Our representative for creationism stopped the debaters for evolution. And, and I don't know why people are surprised. Dawkins himself admitted that God was real. <laughs> Out of their ass. It's hilarious. Is that true? Did, Doc, did Dawkins no, say? No, no. That's Dawkins, just people. <laughs> did, Dawkins, did Dawkins say that? Go, go watch Dawkins, real? Isaac. <laughs> go watch Dawkins. You tell but, me what you think. But then it, 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 while listening to it, I was like, people can say whatever the fuck they want in these mics. I went, oh, shit. Tim and I are just saying whatever the fuck we want in <laughs> these mics. <laughs> yeah. We leave some capacity for us to be wrong. I was a, I was a little embarrassed uh, when I listened to our podcast about shiny, happy people because I kept getting Bill Gothard's name wrong. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I was Bill, Bill Goddard, Bill Gothard. I was like, it's just it's what happens oh, when you put oh. Texas boys in front of mics. How can this guy have an opinion? He can't even say his name right. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm completely <laughs> disqualified from everything. But 
my biggest thing is like I, I can admit when I'm wrong and I can try and improve myself. That's like the baseline of what we do here. So yeah, we should have our podcast fact check. That would who knows. <laughs> but it just it was just so funny, dude. It's just like and then just because I was just shaking my head and then I thought Tim and I are doing the same thing, but let's hope we're yeah. doing it with a little more integrity and a little more intention. We can certainly <laughs> try. <laughs> But but yeah, on that note, you have a meeting, buddy. You're ten I minutes do, late. I, I do have a meeting. I think I just heard them arrive, so I'm All gonna right. go do some of that. Everybody have a great day. We hope you enjoy our little ramble about Christian nationalism, and yeah. we'll have some more fun stuff. I I just thought saw this was funny, Isaac. I'm sitting here and my phone dinged, and because we had posted a question to Instagram, yeah. and I thought you would enjoy this just between you and me. And the question we posted today. And this will be a little late. By the time this airs, this question will be have been out for a while. But sure. we put, what do you feel is missing in the deconversion community? Okay. Yeah. And guess what one of the responses was? What? A network of therapists that specialize in deconstructing religion. You're fucking lying. I'm not lying. Go look on Instagram right now. So this is. Can you delete that? We're not. It's not done yet. I don't need somebody to do <laughs> No, it's all good. It's on Instagram. So it's funny that this person should ask that question. Believable. That's that's some proof of concept there for you and me, Isaac, and what we're working hard on. Everybody just know that we are coming out with a therapist network that specializes in deconversion and deconstruction. We're just hard at work at it right now. We're making phone calls. Phone calls and inroads with people to try and create something along that line. I did want to, I want to get on here and kind of razz you. It, what do you feel is missing in the deconversion community? Community. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I was going to see if somebody will say that in the comments and we'll know by the time. So anyway, <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. You come up with the next question, Isaac. No, <laughs> it's great. It's great. I just think it's funny. Awesome. Uh, all, right. all right. Everybody have a great day. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Deconversion Podcast. We're so happy you joined us. Please like, share, and subscribe, and we'll see you on the next episode.